Amen. And if you love the Coltharps, why don't you put your hands together right now as a show of appreciation. Amen. Thank you so much for those kind words. And it is our honor and our privilege to be on the Urshan campus tonight with all of you, all of you previewers and all of you students. Um, you know, if God does call you here, if you're a previewer and you're checking out the college, if God calls you here, just let me put a plug in that this is a phenomenal college. We've got a lot of great Bible colleges, but this is a phenomenal Bible college as well. And thankful for the leadership of the Coltharps and all of the faculty and the teachers that make up this incredible college. And how about our Urshan College students? If you're here, wave your hand tonight. If you're a college student in the house, so glad you are here as well. And yes, it's, it's a privilege and honor to have my wife, Deanna, with me, and also Myla Joy. She's my preaching coach. She helps me find illustrations and helps me maybe put some polish on messages. But it is indeed our honor to be here tonight. We will be turning in Judges chapter 6 in our reading. Judges chapter 6. And didn't Brother Nathan Long do a phenomenal job delivering the word tonight? Thank you for that. You minister to me tonight. Thank you for being sensitive to the voice of the Lord. We'll be reading from Judges chapter 6, but I also want us to turn to Judges chapter 7, Judges chapter 8. And we will see a succession and a progression in a very famous man from Scripture. How many of you have ever heard of Gideon? Gideon, the mighty man of valor. Let's read a little bit about Gideon tonight. He was called by God to do great things because Judges 6 verse 12 tells us that the angel of the Lord visited Gideon. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and he said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty. Everybody say mighty. mighty. Thou mighty man of valor. This is where Gideon got his calling. This is exciting, isn't it? When God puts his hand on your life and says, you're called, you're mighty. I want to do something incredible with you. And then we go to Judges chapter 7, verse 20. Maybe just a few flip of the pages or scroll of the screen, whatever your pleasure is. We love everybody. But Judges chapter 7, verse 20. And this is the part where most of us were most familiar with. Because verse 20 says, and the three companies blew the trumpets. Everybody say trumpets. And it's, this is getting good. Break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Verse 21, and they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And now we see Gideon getting victory over the enemies of God. Everybody say victory. Come on, somebody say revival. If you want to kick your leg a little bit, say revival. Come on. If you want to say Shondo, say Shondo. All right. Very good. It's a good part of the story. We're familiar with the revival and the power and the calling. One more passage of Scripture, Judges 8, 4. But here's the lesser known part of Gideon's story. Because Judges 8 and 4 says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. 
here's where we really begin to see the might of Gideon because the Bible just told us that he was faint. He was coming up against an obstacle, up against a challenge. But what does he do? He still pursues the call of God on his life. I've come to preach to somebody today that your greatest victory lies just beyond the threshold of your greatest pain, your greatest trial, and your greatest struggle. But Gideon, if you'll hear the word of the Lord tonight and press through, you're going to see a victory. You're going to see a glorious outcome. If you believe that, why don't you put your Bibles down, lift your hands to the Lord if you're able, and let's ask God to speak to us tonight. Lord, I thank you so much for those who have answered the call. That's why they're here tonight. They've heard that clarion call, that unmistakable nudge of the Holy Ghost that has asked them to join the ranks of the most powerful kingdom of all time. But God, I pray right now that you would anoint their ears to hear what you want them to hear. And I pray you anoint this vessel, God of clay, to speak under your anointing and under your unction. And God, let us walk out of here giving you glory for all that you do. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Come on, say, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Why don't you do this one more time? Just before you're seated, one more thing for me. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord? Oh, doesn't that feel good in the house? Come on. Let's clap our hands. And if you want to, before you're seated, why don't you just throw your head back and let out a shout of praise. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. I preach to you not tonight a message entitled, What Makes the Mighty Mighty? Turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to hear what makes the mighty mighty. Why don't you flex your muscles right now and say, we're going to hear about might tonight. It's in the Swiss Alps that there is a particular mountain that is frequently climbed by adventurous climbers. I've never climbed this mountain, but they tell me that if you decide to try and climb this great height, this great mountain, that as you go on your journey up that trek, you will come to a place, a rest house, that is known as the halfway house. Everybody say halfway house. It was given this name because, as you could probably guess, it's located halfway to the top of the mountain. How about that? That's creative marketing right there at its best. The halfway house. They tell me that in this halfway house is all the comforts that you would really desire and want. Because if you're going to climb the Swiss Alps, you're going to face some cold. You're going to face some hardships. You're going to face some rain and some snow and some sleet, but on the halfway up the mountain, you come upon the halfway house, and suddenly you open the door, and there it is, a roaring fireplace, hot chocolate, cell phones ringing, praise God, hot chocolate, donuts. Can I get a witness in the house? Not just any donuts. I don't want to offend anybody here tonight. Not just Dunkin' Donuts. But, you ready? Krispy Kreme Donuts. 
feel my health. Not just donuts, but it gets better, especially if you're a college student. Coffee. Are there any coffee drinkers here tonight? I just wonder. Very good. Very good. My daughter asked me today, she said, Daddy, is espresso a, a college student's drink? I said, yes, baby, it is. <laughs> Not just any coffee, but probably Starbucks. I mean, if you're going to go to heaven, you may as well just get it right. Starbucks coffee. I would have loved to have found this place when I was a Bible college student because we didn't have a lot of comforts. Can I get an amen from the Bible college students? I stand before you by the grace of God and by ramen noodles. That's how we survived Bible college. I would have loved to have found the halfway house when I was a Bible college student. They tell me there is an employee here at this house who's worked there for many years, and they've observed a phenomenon that happens with all, almost without fail. Said that every time they see a climbing party come in that door and just shake off the snow and, and begin to get comfortable, he, he watches as inevitably for every group that comes to this house, at some point there becomes a division. There becomes a separation. Because after being in the house for a while, there's one group that stands up and says, it's time for us to go out and take that mountain. This is what we got together. This was our mission. This was our statement. We're going to take that mountain. But there's another part of the group that just separates off and says, you know what? The halfway house is pretty nice, Brother Coltharp. You know, I, it's pretty cold out there. It's my, my my feet are hurting. My grandmother would say my dogs are barking. Uh, I think I'd like to just keep my feet up just a little bit. I, I, you know, I'm too sore. I, I'm too cold. Uh, and, and so one group decides to go out and take the mountain. But the other group decides I'm going to stay back here. And that group that stays back usually gloats in their decision because now they are embraced by comfort. Everybody say comfort. And I just tell you this tonight from the outset of this message. One of the greatest enemies to your calling is not the devil. He is a serious threat to your calling. But one of the greatest threats to your calling is the enemy of comfort. Because comfort will tell you it's okay to go halfway. Comfort will tell you that good enough is just good enough. But there's a call to go all the way with God tonight. There's, that God has come in this house tonight to remind a young man and remind a young lady here that he has great things for you. And if you're going to reach the pinnacle of your calling and your anointing and what God wants to do through you, you cannot let comfort talk you into stopping along the journey. This worker says that as the hours go by, the people who sit in the house, they're playing cards, they're having a good time, entertaining themselves as loud, as boisterous. He said, but then there comes a point in the evening, he says, where the house grows silent. And it's really, really quiet. He said, because those that stayed back in the house begin to kind of mutter among themselves and kind of walk over to the windows and they begin to peer out and they, they, there's a tone of regret and silence that begins to fall on that house because they begin to look out that one group looks out the window and they begin to see oh look they've almost made oh look they've planted the flag oh look they made it and then suddenly they realize that they allow temporary comfort to keep them from reaching the 
height of their dreams. They started out right. But they ended their journey wrong. They could have been conquerors, but their desire for comfort kept them from their call to greatness. I've just come to tell you tonight, don't let anybody, don't let anyone, and don't let anything of this world keep you from your calling. You've got a mountain to take Gideon. You've got great heights to go to tonight. Don't let anything keep you from being mighty gathered here in this preview weekend service as a group of young people as I have already mentioned you have the sovereign call of God on your life and you have been called by God to do special things in this hour everybody say I've been called oh you you may not be called to preach but you're called to ministry we all have that call to ministry When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God calls us to win our world to him. We've all got a call on our life. And as it was told to the prophet Jeremiah, so it is with you, a very familiar passage. But Jeremiah 1.5, he said, before I formed thee in the belly, Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. In other words, Jeremiah, before you could be called DNA, I already placed my calling and I already sanctified you and I already ordained you to do something in my kingdom. That's you. Everybody say that's me. But how many of you can testify to the fact that every day though you wake up, the call from comfort comes through. The call from compromise comes through. The call to stop and stop halfway comes through. Distractions begin to try to hinder you. Temptations come along and say, well, you know, if you just compromise a little bit here, nobody will ever know and nobody will ever see. There's a lot of distractions that come at you that try to prevent you from being who and what you were meant to be. But it is in the middle of all the reasons and all of this noise that tries to get you to settle for mediocrity and live below your calling and purpose that God has come here tonight and he's looking for somebody who has made up their mind and has committed that they are going to stay on the journey that they are going to go all the way in God because they realize uh, there's a mountain to take am I preaching to a young man who you know you're anointed to take a mountain am I preaching to a young lady that you know you're called to reach a nation. God is searching in this house for somebody who in spite of your past and in spite of your issues, you've made up your mind that you're going to be mighty in God. That like Gideon, if God says he wants to use me, then I want him to use me. Can you hear that call tonight? Can you hear that urge in the spirit tonight? God's ready to link with you. Because there's might in you. You are mighty in God. And you've got mighty things to do. But here, here's where we are. A lot of us can really relate to the story of Gideon. And so let, let's dig into this narrative a little bit. I promise I, I'll try not to take up much of your time because I know bowling is on the agenda. And we probably got some professional bowlers in the house, right? Maybe not. Okay, so Gideon, who we read about He was labeled by God as being a mighty man of valor. 
Now, most Sunday school kids, they grow up hearing about the story of Gideon and his 300 men while they munch on Cheetos and drink apple juice and spill apple juice all over the place. If you had an anointed Sunday school teacher, she fed you Cheetos. Can I get an amen? Cheetos is just a staple of Sunday school ministry. That was free. Gideon's story picks up, though, in Judges chapter 6 during a very dark time for God's chosen people. It was a time when the Midianites, the Bible said, the enemies of Israel. Everybody say enemies. The enemies would come into the land and they would steal the harvest from Israel. They would come in and take whatever they wanted from Israel. And so Israel was living in a great poverty situation because even though they were meant to be conquerors, they are now being conquered by an enemy. And the land didn't belong to the Midianites, but they could still come in and had free will to do whatever they wanted to. You know, this is what always happens, isn't it? When we allow an unchecked enemy to come and go in our life. It's what always happens when we work out a deal with the devil, isn't it? I, I know we know that, but we know that you can never make a deal with the devil and it work out in your favor. We, we've got to check enemies at the door and say, no further in my calling. No further in what God has asked me to do. You, you can't come and go as you please. But that's what the Midianites were doing. They were coming and going and Verse 2 of Judges chapter 6 says that it got so bad that in order to get relief from the Midianites, that the people of Israel, they settled for hiding in caves. Now, that's no way to live, is it? Hiding in caves. But they were supposed to be the mighty rulers of the promised land, but now they're dispossessed in their own territory. Israel was supposed to rule the territory and the times, but now the territory and the times are ruling them. It's a perilous time in the, in the history of Israel, kind of like the day that you and I are living in right now. Has anybody read the news lately? Has anybody noticed that our world is, is pretty crazy right now? Anybody noticed that it doesn't seem... Like uh, like things are as they should be, that we have nations invading nations and we have peril in the news and we have divisions of the house and we have all kind of disunity trying to tear our nation apart. And if we aren't careful, that mentality can begin creeping into the church of the living God. That mentality can begin creeping into our mindsets and our thoughts. But I've come to tell you that even though we're living in troubling times, and even though there's nothing more that the devil would rather for you and I to do than to go underground and live out in fear, I've come to remind you and I tonight that Jesus never died on a cross so that we could be silent, so that we could be bashful, and so that we could hide out in a bunker or a cave somewhere until the darkness leaves. No, God is calling you out, Gideon, and God is saying... Get out of the cave. Get out of get out of the place of confinement and run to the problems of the world. That's why the faculty and teachers and professors of this college have dedicated their lives and ministries. Because they're training you not to run from the battle. You're not training them, brother, to retreat from the battle. You're training this army to go to the battle. That's what we're called to do, to run towards the battle. We know that Paul told us, he said in Ephesians 5, he says, When I look at the church, he says, I begin to see a church that is not barely hanging on. 
He said, when I look at the last era and I look at the last chapters before the coming of the Lord, he said, I don't look, look at a generation of teenagers and young adults who are barely surviving. You know, I heard a professional the other day say that the, the Z generation, the last generation, if you could sum up how they're feeling right now, you could sum it up by saying they are hoping and they are coping. They are hoping that there's a future and they're trying to cope with their present reality. And I understand that. But when we transfer or transmit our thought process into the kingdom of God, we no longer think like the world. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so though the world is dark and though it's crazy for a child of the living God, it looks like opportunity. It looks like a chance to make a difference. And so if Ephesians 5, Paul said, he said, I don't see a church that's barely hanging on and barely surviving. He said, no, I see a glorious church. Ephesians 5, 27. In other words, he, say, I, he was saying, I see young men. I see young ladies having revival and evangelism and discipleship. I see young people being used in the miraculous. That's what he was saying. I see teenagers laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. I see young adults shaking their cities. I've come to tell you, don't be afraid of the evil around you. Don't be intimidated by the darkness that you face around you. Get in, get out of the cave, and get into the fight. I, I love, I love the description of David when it says that Goliath, the giant of his day, rose up to come against David. The Bible said that David, instead of running, the Bible says, here's how it says it, David hasted and ran toward Goliath. I've come to tell you that if you're facing a giant, whatever it may be, God's will is not for you to run from it, but God's will is for you to run to it. So David, square your shoulders. Look at your giant and say, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Because greater, Gideon, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So God scans Israel. And he looks for a hero. He looks for somebody that he can use in a mighty way. And so he finds Gideon. And although Gideon does some great things, eventually we find out, though, that he starts out as a coward. We find that Gideon is living in fear of the times. Wakes up each morning as he's making a cereal and he hears his mom and dad discussing in the kitchen how the Midianites invaded the land and murdered people and took food yet again. He looks around, he sees fear, stress, and anxiety on everybody's face. And, and he's starting to live underneath the weight of the times. So much so that it begins to affect his behavior. Everybody say his behavior. It began to, to affect how he acted because verse 11, we find him threshing wheat by a wine press. Let, let me just translate what that means. That means that Gideon was so feel, fearful that he was now living on a smaller quantity of food. He was working in an unusual place and he was having to be quiet about it all. He couldn't talk about what he thought. He couldn't talk about what he wanted to do. He had to live out in fear and timidity and shyness. But then God begins to speak into Gideon's life. Aren't you thankful for God's voice who can speak into your life? That even though you may not see yourself as anything worth investing into from God's perspective, he still looks at you and says, I can use you. I can use that young lady. 
I can use uh, that young man. Oh, you may be hiding out right now. You may be hiding out threshing wheat, hoping nobody sees you. But God has seen you, Gideon. And God is about to step on your scene and remind you of who you are. So he uses the angel of the Lord, Judges chapter 6, verse 12. An angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Notice that before he ever strapped on a sword, before he ever led in worship, before he ever did his keynote message, God described Gideon as a mighty man of valor. But it's in verse 15 that Gideon starts arguing with God. Anybody here tonight want to be honest and just tell me if you've ever argued with God? I'll be the first. He begins to argue with God and begins, he's heard the plan of God and heard that God thinks he's a mighty man, but now he's got, he feels obligated to tell God all the reasons why he can't be used. Like God did not already know those things. But here is where in verse 15, he begins to tell him, he says, God, you can't use me because I come from a poor family. And God, you can't really use me because I'm the least in my father's house. And Gideon thought that God could not use him because he and his family were nothing in his own eyes. And in addition to all of this, if you do your homework, you'll find that Gideon's family actually were not even in the church, you might say. As a matter of fact, Gideon's dad was a devout worshiper of Baal. Now, you, your parents may not be in church, and, and you may come from a broken family and a broken home life, and Gideon can relate to that. But it kind of gets worse because Gideon would walk in on, maybe on a Sunday night, and his dad is over there in the corner worshiping Baal or bowing down to an idol and, and giving sacrifices to a God that does not even exist. He thought that, God, you can't use me because I don't have the right last name, and I don't have the right lineage, and, and my dad lost out with God. But God, hear me when I say this, God has never selected a person for his purpose based on their last name or their family's history. God always calls a person because he sees who they are and what they can be in his kingdom. Gideon, it does not matter what your family tree looks like. God is looking at you. Oh, he's looking He's looking at you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a first generation apostolic or a fifth or tenth generation apostolic. It doesn't matter if your dad is the preacher known as the preacher in the town or he's known as the drug dealer in the town. God's looking at you tonight, Gideon. And he sees that greatness and that might in you. And he's calling it forth because he has something he needs you to do. Only you can do it. Somebody say, only I can do it. I cannot do it for you. You can only reach people that you can reach. Your circle of influence is not my circle of influence. There are people, and there are people groups, and there are nations, and there are cities, and there are towns that are depending on you and what you bring to the table. Gideon, it doesn't have to look like everybody else's gifting. It doesn't have to look like everybody else's talent. It doesn't have to sound like everybody's calling. But what you do have, that's what God wants to use tonight. He doesn't want to talk about what you don't have. He says, let's talk about what you do have. You have my calling. You have my hand on your life. And so finally, Gideon allows God to get him past those hurdles. 
And then we find that Gideon builds an altar to the one true God in verse 24. We're having revival. Everybody say revival. He's built an altar. That's awesome. That's progress. He says, yes, I'll do your will, God. I'll do what you ask me to do. But it's in the next verse that God begins to challenge Gideon. He says, I've got a task that I want you to take care of. God instructed Gideon to go back to his own village and to tear down the altar of Baal in that village. Because he understood that, Gideon, before you can face down the enemy on the battlefield, I want you to take a stand in your own house. Gideon, you must be willing to fight the private battles before I call you to fight national battles. Gideon, you got to get rid of all the other altars in your life if you really want to be used by me. Because here it is, what makes the mighty mighty is they have one altar. One altar of worship. I won't stay here very long. We're going somewhere. I promise we're progressing. But let me just say this, that before we can declare war on hell, we've got to declare war on our own carnality. But before we can go out and say, I want to fight the enemies of Israel, you've got to fight the enemies of Israel that live at your own zip code. Before you can stand up and try to lead others, you've got to first be able to lead yourself to an altar and say, not my will, but your will, God. God's calling. And God's inventorying my life and your life tonight asking how, how many, how many altars do you have? Because the mighty, they only have one altar, one allegiance, one calling. God is asking you, how many altars do you have tonight, Gideon? Here it is, because if we believe in one God, and we do, don't we? And we're truly going to be oneness, then that means that there should be only one God and only one altar of worship in our life. That's where we are. We need one altar. Such a powerful moment when Gideon begins to go and he begins to chop down the grove of worship and he takes his dad's oxen and he takes the idol and he cuts it down and he piles it all up and he lights a match to it and uses that to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. He gave it all over to God. He said, I only want one altar. I'm going to tell you tonight that if you're going to answer this call that's on your life, is this okay tonight? Everybody all right? If you're going to answer this call of God that's on your life, there will be things that God asks you to, to lay aside. There, there will be relationships that God tells you you need out of your life. There will be some friendships and there will be some opportunities that God asks you to forsake. Oh, I've seen it. I'm not preaching that you've got to do this, but hear me out. I've seen young people forsake athletic opportunities and surrender all of that over to God and answer the call to preach. I, I've seen young people, sometimes God asks them to do this, to give up lucrative scholarships and job opportunities to become a missionary and carry the gospel to unreached countries. Am I saying that you've got to do those things to be used by God? No, I am not. But I am saying that we should live our life in a way that if God ever does ask those things, that nothing will get all of my allegiance except God. No other altar, no other God, but the one true living God. And then I continue, I continue tonight and I hasten. We, we go through Gideon's story. and We get to the good part where we find that he takes 300 men, less than 1% of what he started out with. And he goes out. With 300 men and defeats 135,000 Midianites. You know how he defeats them? It's crazy. Trumpets, clay pitchers, and torches. Amazing. 
phenomenal. To top it all off, we find that not only did he defeat 135,000 Midianites, but he also captured and defeated two princes of the Midianite army. Not a bad day in the life of a warrior who got his start as being a fearful coward. It's usually here that the Sunday school teacher stands up and closes the Cheeto bag, begins to mop up all of the apple juice and the gallons and gallons, and mom and dad pick up their little boy, little girl, and they go home, and we turn the lights off, and we go home. Because what else is there? What else is there? There's been a victory. There's been triumph. But I submit to you that there's more to Gideon's story than just one victory over a Midianite army or a Midianite prince. There's more to be considered here in this story if we really want to know why Gideon was described as mighty in Scripture. This is the part of the story where Gideon's might really begins. Here it is. I believe that Gideon was a victor, not because he broke a few pitchers on the ground or blew a trumpet or two and then went home to the same old life. But he was a mighty man of valor because he decided to continue pursuing the call of God even after the battle had been won. He, he decided to continue pursuing the enemy after the battle had been won. He was a mighty man of valor because in spite of being weary, he knew how to pursue the will and the plan of God to its fullest. He was mighty because he could pursue in spite of all odds. Judges 8, 4, we read it earlier, tells us that after Gideon and his 300 men had routed the army, defeated those two princes of Midian, we, we find Gideon coming to the Jordan River. That famous river, here he is. He's just had a a victory. He's just defeated 135,000 Midianites. Gideon, go home and relax. Take the day off. Go home and be comfortable. You don't really have to do all that God is asking you to do. You can stop short because now for all ages and times, we'll remember you took 300 men and you defeated 135,000. That's how you're going to be remembered, Gideon. You, you did go to that altar. And you did say yes to the calling of God. And you did tell your pastor that you're called to preach or you feel a call to missions. You, you did have that conversation. Gideon, isn't that enough? Bible college students, you, you sacrifice what you want and sometimes necessities because you feel like you're here in the will of God. God, isn't that enough? God, I tried to step out and do your will, and we had some good things. But now, God, I'm uncomfortable. Now, God, I'm in peril. Now, God, I'm weary, and I am faint. Now, what are you going to do, Gideon? I'm preaching right now in the Holy Ghost to somebody that your toes have come next to the Jordan River. You've come to a pivotal moment in your calling in God. You faced some obstacles. You've overcame. You, you've had some triumphant victories. But now, Gideon, you're at the Jordan. And God wants to know, are you going to let that might push you? 
into your greatest victory. Push you to answer the call of God. Or Gideon, will you go home and will you say, I'm going to stay the same and I'm going to maintain what I've had. I'm preaching to somebody that God has been calling you to consecrate yourself to prayer and fasting and studying of the word. You've done good for years, but now God is asking more out of you because he's got greater things for you. But before God can grant those things, sometimes we're alone. He puts you in that pit. Sometimes he shows you the promise. He shows you the palace. But like you said, he won't show you the pit between the promise and the, the, the fulfillment of that promise. Why? Because sometimes he's got to give you character to match the dreams. Sometimes he's got to give you a foundation and a solidification on the inside that you realize that I am mighty. But I'm not mighty because I can sing well. I'm not mighty because I can preach well. But I'm mighty because I can be faint. I can be false. I can be tired. I can be weary. But yet I still pursue the plan of God. That's what makes the mighty, mighty. Judges 8-4, he comes to the Jordan. He's tired. He's weary. But it says he's faint, yet pursuing the enemies of God. This is why he's mighty. Because he can pursue the plan of God in spite of all of the obstacles. I said it earlier, but your greatest victory lies beyond the threshold of your greatest pain your greatest struggle, and your deepest pit. I'd love to tell you that when you said yes to the call of God, that everything would be easy from that point on. I'd love to tell you that the world is going to stand and applaud you and give you accolades and promote you because you said yes to the plan for your life that God has. I'd love to tell you that your family and your friends are always going to understand the sacrifices that you make for ministry. But the fact of the matter is anyone who has ever done anything for God had to come face to face with discomfort. They had to come to face to face with weariness, with being faint. But hear me tonight. Might always begins where comfort ends. Might begins when it would make more sense to stop and quit, but you press on. Might begins when no one else seems to know or care, but you remain faithful in your calling. Because might always sees the opportunity that lies just on the other side of the Jordan. Some probably wondered why Gideon would continue to pursue and inconvenience himself after that wonderful victory. After all, Gideon, you've had a great victory. After all, Gideon, you went to preview weekend. After all, you, you're attending Urshan College. Torches have been burned and pictures have been broken. You've defeated princes. What else is there, Gideon? The Bible records a very interesting thing later in Judges chapter 8. It says that while there was 135,000 that was defeated, Judges 8 and 11 says that there were still some Midianites left. The Bible said that they crossed over the Jordan River. Verse 11 has a really unique way of saying that, Brother Coltharp. It says, basically, they thought that they were secure from Gideon. Because they said, 
he's just killed 135,000 of us. There's no way he's going to cross this Jordan. And no way he's going to come to where the Bible says they, they felt secure. There's no way he's going to get through that trial. There's no way she's going to get through that struggle. We're safe. Get in. What are you doing? You, you've defeated princes. But the Bible said that Gideon still knew that just on the other side of that Jordan, there were still kings of Midian that needed to be conquered. I've come to preach to somebody tonight that you've had some great victories. You've subdued some great enemies. But now God is calling you to fight and live on the level of kings. He's got a greater anointing. I wish somebody say amen in this house right now if you believe that. He's got a greater calling for you. He's got kings that he wants you to defeat. He loves us, but you've got to make up your mind that the Jordan will not stop me. That being faint and weary will not stop me. I'm faint, but I am pursuing the plan of God for my world. I wonder if there's a Gideon in this house that will stand to your feet right now and say, that is me. Come on, Gideon, why would you stop with just one battle? Why would you stop with an okay victory when God has called you to defeat kings? Gideon, if you could just see the victory on the other side of that Jordan. Let's take a moment. I feel the Spirit of God sweeping in this house. Let's lift our hands right now. Respond to what God is saying and what God is doing. Come on. It's inside you right now. God's been pulling on some of you in this service. Because there's greater, Gideon. There's greater. But this is how the mighty are mighty. They can be faint, and yet they pursue. That's what will make you mighty. That's what will make you mighty. It's when you live out your lifestyle of holiness in a darkened world. When you don't have to have audiences or accolades, but you still pursue. When you decide the anointing is worth more than worldliness. That you don't have to hold the mic, but you'll hold the broom handle. When nobody sees and nobody knows, Gideon, keep pursuing. Oh, come on, that's it. We're going to sing in just a moment, but I wonder if there's anybody else that wants to respond. These altars are open. Every place in this, this house is an altar. God can meet you wherever you are. Make it a place. Make it an altar right now. Come on, get in. There's might in you. But now that might's got to manifest itself. Now it's got to come forth, get in. Let it push you deeper into the call of God. Deeper into consecration. Deeper into commitment. Come on, that's it. Lift your voices. Lift your voices. 
Come on, come on, Gideon. I know the Jordan River is cold. I know you're weary. I know you're uncomfortable. I know you're exhausted as a generation. But God's got your greatest days just ahead, just on the other side. Come on, press, press. There's a breakthrough here tonight for somebody. Come on, you've been praying for it. You've been fasting for it. Now let that might push you, Gideon. 